0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick, and you're listening to Not Adding Up. And since this is the final installment of the Oakland County Child Killer series, Abby is back once again.
1: Hi guys, I'm glad to be back again as always.
0: So how are we feeling today, Abby?
1: Um honestly kind of
0: spooked Sp- about what we're going to
1: like reveal today
0: spooked. in this Yeah. It's getting to be spooky season, so Yeah, true. It kind of fits the vibe there. Yeah, I'm
1: excited. I
0: love Halloween in full. Yes, I love the weather. It's getting colder. I can wear a hoodie now and not, like, sweat to death.
1: Yes, it's, and it's scary nice. movies and scary. scary
0: movies. There's a lot of good scary movies that okay. look like they're coming out soon. I can't remember the names of none of them, but... <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Whenever I'm watching Hulu... On are... Facebook,
1: ones pop up. Like, that Orphan movie just came out. The, like, prequel of Orphan. Okay. It was good.
0: You I think they're it. getting Isabel Furman back for that, so that's exciting. That's the girl who played it originally. I had, like, an uh, obsession with Isabel Furman when I was...
1: The orphan girl
0: and yeah, well, she was also in Hunger Games as like Clove, the girl oh. that was like the knife thrower, and I was I her. remember. okay District two, Clove. Yeah,
1: yeah, she did play the she played the
0: orphan role. Yeah. Well, before I get into the case, I just wanted to give a shout out to the podcasting community for being so welcoming and supportive. Over the last week, I've been able to connect with a lot of other True Crime podcasters on Instagram and everybody has just been so nice and given me a lot of tips on how to get more listeners, and they have just been a wealth of knowledge and so kind, and I couldn't ask for a better community to be in. I also wanted to take a moment to tell my listeners about Good Pods, and if you guys sign up and review my episode on Good Pods, which is a free podcast app, It helps me a lot because it helps me get discovered by new listeners. They take a lot of indie podcasts and put them on their top charts, and that is a great way to get discovered by new people. I also wanted to talk about what you can expect from not adding up in the coming weeks. My next few cases are going to be local to my hometown, Morgantown, West Virginia, and a few from the surrounding areas. So that will be exciting for the locals who listen to the podcast. With the exclusion of one of these local cases, which honestly might be a Patreon exclusive, I promise to stay away from multi for a good while because I know this one was a doozy, doozy, doozy. But with that being said, let's get back in and finish this puppy. So, Abby... Can you uh, tell us where we left off last episode?
1: Um, I think the Fox Island guy. Uh, no, okay, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's so many. Names okay, in those hold
1: case. on. Lawson died.
0: In prison. In prison. Correct.
1: Okay, and then Corey Williams got kicked off the case.
0: The task force yes. by
1: the Gary. Gary Gray. Gray stupid ass guy.
0: Michigan State Police. He Michigan was the head of the task force.
1: Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was just all fucked up. That's what I remember.
0: Abby's like, the details got a little fuzzy. <laughs> we did go all over the place with a bunch of names, but we yeah. learned about Christopher Bush and Gregory yeah. Green. But And you... more and Bob Moore and Jor. Bob Moore is dead and Ted Orr was dead. Okay. Uh, Ted Orr. <laughs> Was an alias for Ted Lambergine. Okay. Who gave more yeah, names we that gave, connected.
1: Yeah, he gave a lot of names.
0: About Mainly about the North Fox Island situation. Right. But where we left off was James Gunnels, who was a possible victim of Gregory Green, indefinite victim of Christopher Bush. However, we left off with DNA linking him to the crime. And I didn't tell you what it was, but I'm going to now. This DNA was a hair match that was found on Christine's sweater. Oh, dang. It was the first type of evidence that they were able to link back to somebody directly. Finally. But this is also like he was very young at the time, but we'll we'll get into it. But I'm going to take us back in time once again. So on Saturday, March 19th, 1977, there was a 911 call made around the Bushes lake house. This call was a concerned neighbor, and it is possibly Gunnels, that uh, James Gunnels could be one of the boys with Chris, but she says that Chris is in town with two minors, and the woman says you can't give too much info. And she keeps talking to somebody else who is in the background, but the operator can't hear the other person. And eventually this woman kind of snaps. And she goes, why the hell did you have me call the police if you aren't going to allow me to tell them enough to help? And that is where the call kind of ended.
1: That's weird. (laughs) But Mm
0: -hmm. it was uh, heavily suspected that that was James Gunnell's and it kind of link-linking him to the time period of the killings but he was very young at the time i see um he had he was like 14 or 15 so definitely a victim but it's interesting that his hair was found on christine's sweater and christine was found like missing in like january i know and that
1: call was made in march March, of the same year
0: yeah That's weird. Something that is important to talk about that took place in the Oakland County area was in 2009. There is a new county prosecutor for Oakland County. This new county prosecutor is Jessica Cooper, who was a notorious prosecutor and had prosecuted thousands of cases each and every year. However, she showed A lot of reluctance to actually crack open the Oakland County child killer case. Cooper and Kim Worthy, the Wayne County prosecutor, were the first women to hold the position. And they did so simultaneously. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But Cooper is not a very good character in this uh, story. So Mm -hmm. coming into her role as county prosecutor in 2009, Cooper felt the case was strong. However, she was pretty... Angry with Williams because he specifically got Wasser involved in the case, so this indicates some ties between Jessica Cooper and Wasser, so that like she definitely cared about him. Another person that Jessica Cooper also has connections with is Jane Burgess. Does that name ring a bell?
1: Um, was that one of the.
0: Jane victims? Burgess is the attorney of the Bushes. Oh. Jane Burgess. Burgess is the one who got him off four separate times without even spending a night in jail. Yeah. That she's, shocked
1: me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's friends with Jessica Cooper. They belong to the same social circles and attended the same university. So they definitely they knew each other. They've
1: definitely made connections before.
0: So, with that fact in mind, it makes a little more sense why Cooper, who is a notorious prosecutor and typically gets the job done is not really looking into the case because her good friend was involved in not such a good way
1: right she let that guy off
0: which is mm-hmm. an attorney's job but
1: yes but, it shouldn't have been that simple and that straightforward mm-hmm. i feel like
0: exactly so back to james Gunnel's. The search was on for him because the, there was DNA evidence linking him to Christine's sweater. They found that he was released from prison. He was in prison for some petty charges um He had had struggles throughout his entire life in and out of prison um but he was only fourteen or fifteen in nineteen seventy six and nineteen seventy seven so he would have been a teenager when these murders were happening Wow. And there's no question about the fact that Christopher Bush did molest him. So no matter how you look at it, he was definitely a child who was being taken advantage of. But at this point, like, they kind of wanted to charge him with murder because he was linked to her sweater, which is just kind of like, it's hard to
1: James or that. Christopher? James. And he was only 14 or 15? Yeah. So they're saying he could have done this to her?
0: Correct. Or he was there and knew or, or something. something. But maybe he but was there... being
1: held hostage with her. Mm-hmm. Okay, but anyways.
0: Uh, that's, okay. Yeah, that could have, yeah. That that's, what, happened. that's a
1: little theory I threw in.
0: <laughs> He was definitely stunned when the police found him and started questioning him about the incidents. And he had a slip-up he said that he didn't know anything about it and he wasn't there when it happened. So those kind of conflict with each other. If he doesn't know anything about it, how does he know what it... Like, they were saying when it happened, like, it, he had to know. Like, the yeah. police took that as a confession of sorts. Oh. So throughout this case, I've referenced the Snow Killings multiple times and told you guys it's my main source of information. The author, Marnie Keenan played a large role in the, uh, investigation itself and how it unfolded. So, and it really wasn't really, like, you couldn't really tell how much of a important part she played until towards the end of her novel, and I'm sure she did it on purpose to, like... Yeah,
1: I don't really
0: know. Yeah, we're gonna get into (laughs) Like,
1: who this is.
0: (laughs) Um, well, it... All we really need to know is that she's the author of the book. Yeah. And she worked with media, because but yeah and she worked she, with media before because she's an author yeah yeah an author on like a criminal case a okay cold case so
1: now i kind of want to read this <laughs>
0: it's a it's a really messed up book yeah. it, it is like a lot she really hit the nail on the head like anytime i would find an article after reading the book it would be like well That was in The Snow Killings. This was in The Snow Killings. already read it. (laughs) She got everything on the case. She seemed like she was nearly as determined as Williams. Corey Williams. Yeah. Yes. But she met with James Gunnels herself. Oh. She said of James that he was eager to please her. Probably just to get some like positive media light because it was so up in the air. Like, is he a killer? And this is the
1: one that looked like kind of handsome and you wouldn't suspect him to be the like that type but like
0: james gunnels is he that one james gunnels is the possible victim the 14 15 year old okay that is gregory green
1: gregory green was that one okay
0: all right gregory green is he has something against gunnels he hates him for some reason but gunnels would never admit to knowing Uh, why
1: the reason
0: yeah i don't we don't really get closure on that Hmm. But it's just something that makes it all look more suspicious. Why does Gregory Green hate Gunnels? So much, But Gunnels is just neglecting to... Yeah. Because Gregory Green was very straightforward with all the people he molested. He admitted to over 200 cases, so... He probably would have admitted to 201 Mm -hmm. with James Gunnels. Exactly. Gunnels talked with Keenan about the fact that he had failed two polygraphs regarding the case... The first one, it was accu- he was accused of, like, purposely failing it by holding his breath. Yeah. And he told uh, Keenan that he, like, was a smoker. And he was like, I cannot, I can not possibly do that and successfully throw off a polygraph. And he said the second polygraph where he failed, and it was not showing that he was trying to throw off the test. But he said that they kind of set up the waiting room to make him nervous and just were, like, doing everything they could to, like, harp on his nerves, kind of. So he was like, both of them, I was like, they kind of made me fail. Was basically what he was telling Keenan, the author. Another thing that he refers to like multiple times when he's talking to police is how much drugs he's done over the years and how that could affect his memory, which is like, okay, that's sad. Like it is like a lot of people who deal with trauma have like fallen into addiction. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know how many times you would feel the need to specify that to police. Like yeah, kinda, I
1: wouldn't want to be telling that to the police if I, it was like that. you know. Like
0: It kind of makes it seem like he was like...
1: Trying to over make that like an excuse. To, yeah, this is why I don't remember because I did yeah. a bunch of
0: drugs. So just stop questioning me. Yeah. So th- with all of this, he kind of started looking more like a suspect to police. This DNA wasn't enough to convict Gunnels as it was only a one in a hundred match. So they weren't, that wasn't a smoking gun enough to bring him in. But they were just real suspicious of him. And Gunnels told Marnie, the author, uh, that she felt that Williams, or he felt that Williams was just harassing him. Oh. Which, like, it is, like, you don't know how to feel about this because it is sad because he is a victim. It's also like,
1: But now I'm, like, confused. Like, what is he, (laughs)
0: It's very confusing. The whole Gregory Green situation is confusing. Like, Gregory Green hates his guts for some reason, and he doesn't own up to that. The whole, like, drugs, ticket police multiple times thing for his memory is confusing. This
1: is... It's just all weird. But it's
0: definitely not enough to make me, like, condemn him. I still feel like no matter what he did, he was a victim, and he was being groomed and manipulated by adults who were in full control of the situation. Yeah. So while all of this hubabaloo around gunnels is
1: what did you just say?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hubba Oh. The Hubba I don't I, it was just like I don't even know. It's just like a whole gossip like
1: this whole freaking
0: cluster fuck like yeah. Hubba was a better <laughs>
1: okay. word. Um, I never heard that word.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a word. Maybe not.
1: I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, anyways, going the gunnel situation was happening. At the same time, Williams and Gray were working strangely together. So forgive me for not really knowing the concrete details of this exact aspect. But at one point, Williams was readmitted to the task force after he was kicked off the first time. So, at this point, they're going to roll out some individuals who there were tips made on. No, nothing came of this trip, but something that is important. What, Abby? <laughs> Abby looked up Papa Blue. A loud, continued mixture of noises. <laughs> I mean, a clusterfuck. Oh, oh that's actually pretty good, because the, the loud, continued mixture of noises would be all the media talking, all the police talking. All the talk around the town. Yeah. I think I used the perfect word and you just helped me prove that.
1: Okay, yes. Hullabaloo.
0: Oh. Hullabaloo. I said hubbubaloo. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. Okay. Thanks for interrupting, Abby. Word of the day. Williams is back on the task force. They're going to roll out some people. Nothing big comes of this trip other than the fact that they're having this conversation. And Williams is kind of telling Gray he was like, The Kings are getting pissed. Like they, you haven't updated them. They brought you this tip in two thousand and six. Like
1: their son's been dead. We need some information. Like Like, we need to update them. Patrick Coffey, like yes,
0: yes, (laughs) (laughs) Patrick (laughs) Coffey, yes. And Gray, this was just a quote from him. He said, "They can't be smart. Their attorneys." Talking about who said that? Gary Gray said that about the King family because the King family was attorneys. And that was like in response to William's warning, where he was like, "These people are smart, Gary. You need to take this serious." And that was his response. So they can't
1: be smart. they're attorneys. I'm like, okay. what does that mean? Okay, police was officer. Was he being sarcastic? No,
0: he was being very. I mean, in his own way, like he was not being sarcastic. He was, yeah.
1: Yeah, you went to police academy. They went to law school.
0: Asshole. They. Yeah, that was just an interesting comment that I was like, okay, Gary Gray. Point I don't like him. 75. This whole
1: thing, I never fucking liked him. No, me, me neither. He's involved. I bet.
0: <laughs> In August of 2009, Williams began... <laughs> <laughs> began. <laughs> Williams began working for Kim Worthy's office. Kim Worthy, I mentioned briefly earlier is the Wayne County prosecutor, first woman to hold the position, first black woman to hold the position. Oh. Go off, Kim Worthy. Interesting. Shortly after Williams begins working in Worthy's office, Gray finds out that Williams uh, had an interview with a woman, and this woman was offering inside information on the case and was not a, was not a friend of Gray, much like you and I. She would, she did not like Gray, and she kind of had her own blog, and she was offering this inside information. The inside information turned out to be false, and she was just lying for, like, internet clout. But nonetheless, she still posted it on her blog. She was like, obviously, I am on the right track because Corey Williams himself came and interviewed me, and Gray was like, what the fuck? This is the only time that I'm like, okay, Gray kind of has some reason to get mad, like, not really. Like, I'm still 100% Team Williams. I'm like, I love, T- I love Corey Williams. Yes. But, like, he actually had some, big, like, backing to go to just his superiors. This girl was like... And, well, she was bad-mouthing just... him. That didn't help. She was bad-mouthing him on her blog, but also the fact also that... Also she... lying. <laughs> and saying that an investigator came and interviewed her, which actually There's
1: happened. always that one person that wants to be involved.
0: Mm-hmm. Due to this drama... Williams gets kicked off the task force once again.
1: How many times can you get
0: kicked this off the task This is the, the second time. Yeah. So, and like, I didn't really take note of when he was put back on. So like, but he was working on it the entire time. He never stopped working on it. So, like, it really doesn't even matter. He just, like, the task force is nothing to me other than a label. Like, other than the fact that I get to have access to certain meetings. Yeah. That were Obviously, if he wasn't the one holding the meeting, nothing was getting done. Exactly. Marnie Keenan was not only interested in interviewing James Gunnels, she also interviewed the Kings. And when she interviewed the Kings, they reported that they had always been close with police and trusted them up until 2006 when the Patrick Coffee tip came to light. They realized that Bush and Green had long, long, long been overlooked as prime suspects. In fact, Marnie Keenan is the woman that the kings decided to go to when they leaked the information that they had. So this is referring to the warning that Williams gave Gray, because the family had the tip that they provided to police about the polygraph. Right. They were the ones who had that the entire time. They are the ones who brought that to light. They kept that private. They kept it to themselves. They gave it to police. The police were not telling them how the investigation was going. They were pissed. Williams tried to warn Gray. Gray didn't listen. He said these dumbass attorneys. And they went to the media after. but it's, And it's not like they went straight to the media. That's why I wanted to make that point. Like, they had this information for a long time. And okay. they did not go until they felt that nothing was being done with very good information.
1: And they... That was smart. Yeah, he... he, he these attorneys aren't smart
0: whatever Barry King that said That was a good move they did Barry that King said move. Um think again honey okay Yes I Barry King I love Barry King like my two favorite men in this story Barry King and Corey, and Corey Williams Wex. they are just amazing <laughs> never gave up the fight One consequence of this uh, media leak from the King's however was Williams was taking the blame from the MSP and he was kind of being designated as a leak himself, like a leak of the police department to the uh, families and the media and everything else. Well, it's like literally they provided the info. Yeah. Like, it's like they can't be a leak for info they already had.
1: Exactly. And they
0: chose. Like Williams like was the only one that wanted to follow up.
1: Their kid was part of this case. Like They have that authority, I feel.
0: In response to this media leak... Jessica Cooper releases a statement to the families saying that we cannot give you any information as this is an ongoing investigation. Quote, I am professionally and ethically prohibited from providing to you the details of an incomplete investigation. End quote. Barry was floored, pissed, angry. <laughs> I would be too. Like, he She said, said that to the dad? He, that was to the whole family. And he was like, condescending much like i am a you know, i'm an attorney too i know how these things work and i know that what i'm asking for is not that much I'm and this is
1: about my son mother.
0: bare necessities
1: now i see why you don't like this bitch that much
0: and the fact that she's connected to jane berger yeah jane exactly a lot of connections in this they story. were not
1: good ones
0: <laughs> king then filed a lawsuit against oakland county He just wanted to see the facts surrounding the case. A quote from Barry King after he filed the lawsuit. If I see the file and I see the same facts, they can even come to a different conclusion than I. I just want to know what they have. How did this four-time convicted pedophile never, ever spend a single night in jail? End quote. Barry King is just as confused as the rest of us. He was saying, I'm okay if you guys don't think what I think, but I just want to make sure that what you have is making you think what you think yeah. and not some other reason that I, I don't know about and nobody knows about. Why am I in the dark? Yeah. Why am I in the dark 30 years after my son was brutally murdered? He Why am I in the dark? Been.
1: He should have been right where Corey Williams was that whole time.
0: Yes, Corey Williams, it's, that's a little different because Corey Williams was actually doing the work of investigating, and at, at, Corey Williams was in contact with the family. Corey Williams was also not he very liked the MSP. He was telling him what he knew, yeah. Oh, happened. okay, you're saying the Coopers and the MSP should have been like yeah. Corey Williams. Okay, Yes. sorry. Misunderstood. I thought you were saying that King should have been more like Williams. I don't know.
1: And they both doing
0: well, everything they, they can. they both doing good. <laughs> yeah. So after his lawsuit in which he was requesting a release of information under the Freedom of Information Act, made it all the way to the Michigan Supreme Court, it was denied. Wow. But a lawyer never gives up in in court. A good lawyer never gives up in court. And King went back and he said, we're going to do this again. So after his second lawsuit, he gained access to the evidence. And in December of twenty ten. He was delivered boxes and boxes and boxes of files relating to the case. Take a guess on how much he paid just for the files, not not the court not the court costs. For two court cases that made it all the way to the Supreme Court, just the files. Guess how much?
1: This is two thousand nine?
0: Ten, but yeah. Ten
1: thousand dollars.
0: Eleven thousand dollars for police files.
1: Wow. I would have never thought that.
0: He reads every single page, and he was disgusted whenever he confirmed all of his suspicions that Bush was never locked up for any of his crimes, and there was documentation to prove it.
1: That's why they didn't want him to get the evidence, because he's going to find some.
0: Speaking of evidence, King also found out for the first time through these documents that the Bush family at one point just shred all their family documents. We talked about that last episode, how the brother said just randomly one day the dad shredded a bunch of birth certificates and social security.
1: yeah, everything. Wow.
0: So once again, Barry realizes that years have gone by, opportunities have been lost, and his son's murder has not been shown the attention it deserves. He is also more certain than ever that Christopher Bush was involved with the murders of his son. Another quote from Barry, I am sick and tired of the Bush family being treated better than my own, as well as the families of Christine Mihalik, Jill Robinson, and Mark Stebbins. End quote.
1: Those are the other kids that got killed. Indeed, yeah. And King said that.
0: Barry King said that.
1: Well, you've got to say, like, that King. What do you mean? Like, I know, like, those, I, are, those are other I think kids, mis- too. I think you
0: misheard me. I think you misheard Let's me. Say it again. I am sick and tired of the Bush family being treated better than my own, as well as the families of Christine Mihalik, Jill Robinson, and Mark Stevens. He's saying, why is the killer's family being treated better than the victim's families? He's saying, my own family, as well as the families of all the other victims. Oh, I thought you
1: were saying, like, he was...
0: Like, it's a direct quote, I thought Abby. you
1: were saying, like, he was like,
0: yeah, those...
1: Other no. kids are getting no. more attention than my kid. Do not you know, speak like
0: the... on Barry King's name like that, Abby. I was about to he say I never... thought he was a good guy. He never would.
1: Good.
0: Alright, so like it's looking like no more suspects. We're like getting down to the, the to the end of things. Countdown, yes. Nope. Okay, well. Dun dun dun. Oh god. Just to make things more complicated, there is another suspect that is having some weight because there's thousands of suspects in this case williams even said that he had to look into john wayne gacy wasn't
1: that forwarding. and that was around that time right
0: yeah uh, but i think a little like, bit maybe i think but we're, he 80s. lived up there too or maybe yeah. not i i don't know no gacy mm-hmm. was in chicago oh then that's that's not that far is it chicago to michigan is a Good, it's a good while. Okay, you lived in That's a good while. I mean, <laughs> I don't know it anymore. I'm gonna like to say, like, definitely over five, six hours. Like, yeah, then, okay. Oh, I don't know. Chicago's like, I lived in Springfield, like, in the middle of the state. I think Chicago's is it? I think it's North. I northern. think Chicago's okay, north. northern. And this, we know? could just be like spewing. I need eight a map right now. <laughs> yeah, like, we are not qualified to be talking about geography. Okay, this new suspect, Arch. Edward Sloane, who was a pedophile serving two life sentences, and was convicted in 1985 in Wayne County for sexually assaulting a ten-year-old. He was questioned in the initial Mark Stebbins investigation, and was cleared. But why is he being a why is he becoming why? a suspect years later? Why is he back? Why is he back? So there are three hairs connected to the Oakland County child killer that have been of interest for years now that DNA evidence, DNA testing has evolved the first hair I'm going to go over the hairs in uh, chronological order of when they were found and when they were suspected to be left the first hair was found February 19th, 1976 on Mark Stebbins' clothing the second hair was found in Arch Sloan's car in the initial investigation sometime before the 23rd of the same year. But, however, like I said, they didn't have the DNA. They didn't have the testing to look at this hair like they did years later, whenever they picked it up.
1: Um, they, so that second hair was, the one found in his car was also Mark's was, students?
0: They didn't know at the time. They were They were searching his car because mm-hmm. they were looking into him because of Mark Steadman's uh, disappearance. So when they searched his car, they recovered this hair and took it in for evidence just in case, new testing. Like in the future? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing they did. did. Yeah. And the third was on slight trigger warning. This is really gross. Mm -hmm. The third was on Tim King's groin area, which was of high interest to police. But this was found 13 months later. So these three hairs, spanning over 13 months, found in Arch Sloan's car, are all left by the same person. Who? (laughs) Not Arch Sloan.
1: So it wasn't him? Another man?
0: Your question is everybody's question, Abby. It's just another man who knows too much shit about these children's deaths. And didn't actually do it supposedly, which I I don't think he did it, but I'm like, I think that he knows who did it. And I think dozens of people will know who did it. And we're going to get into that when we get to the end of this episode. I'm going to give my theory and I'm going to give you some time to give your theory because it's been it's been a long ride. Yeah. A side note on the Arch Sloan investigation is that Williams would not get the lead or begin working on the case until much, much later than Michigan State Police. But he began working 18-hour days to get caught up. And the badass even eventually passed the Michigan State Police in terms of investigation because as the task force was going around asking people, question like, questioning people about Sloan, they said that Williams had already been there. Really? Which is just, like, a big F you to the task force. Like, you kicked off your best guy. Yeah, like, he
1: he was your rock in this whole situation. He found out... Like,
0: later than you and is already ahead of you and what needs to be done yeah so take that michigan state police so this investigation into arch sloan revealed that in september of 1973 he moved back to oakland county i didn't really specify in my notes where i probably should have but all that matters is in 1973 this pedophile was in oakland county michigan and another thing is that mark stebbins disappeared less than two miles from his home at the time, when the investigation in the 2000s was taking place, Sloan failed a polygraph on Timothy King. However, forty years earlier, whenever he was being in, whenever he was being looked into for the murder of Mark Stebbins, he passed a polygraph, presumably clearing him of any suspicion whatsoever from the police
1: mm-hmm.
0: on january eighteenth nineteen seventy six records show that Sloan calls the police department to advise him that he would have he would have to work past closing. He worked, I think, as a tow truck driver, and whenever he was questioned about this, he said that he just wanted to let them know that he was working past closing. I assume, I think he was a known pedophile at this point, and he had got some wraps. so like, he said that the police would hound me if they saw me alone here after close. They would be like, what are you doing here? So he was like, I had to call them. Let them know I was working late. Oh. Doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Especially but... when that is when Mark Stevens went missing.
1: Right. That's odd.
0: As has been a theme throughout the entire series, Oakland County versus Corey Williams has been a heated debate and heated argument. Just
1: I... really controversial.
0: Yeah. it's They have been going back and forth through the entire case. In 2011, they were insisting they would not work with Wayne County unless Williams was taken off the task force, so he wouldn't be allowed to work. Kind of right. like
1: acting petty, like, at this point. Like...
0: To say the least. To like s- <laughs> Acting petty about investigating yeah, the murder just of the children. Least. However, good news, Gary Gray, I think he retired. Sadly, he didn't get the boot or fired or anything, but... Took long enough. Moral of the story, moral of the story is Gary Gray is gone and Officer Powell assumes Michigan State Police Task Force leader for the Oakland County child killer case.
1: Okay, and I hope this guy is good.
0: Actually, Officer Powell is a woman. Oh. And she does seem to be a hell of a lot better than Gray.
1: Good. Good for her.
0: Throughout her career, Powell kept a low profile, worked hard, and stayed humble slowly working her way through the ranks of the state police. She was new to the case, but she could tell from first glance that the fact that Williams was being treated as an outcast was just despicable, it, there was no point to it. She was responsible for making the records involved with the case available digitally, something that seemed like an intentional hold huddle... <laughs> Something that seemed like an intentional hurdle to discourage any gung ho detectives from cracking the case. Because remember Williams had to look through twenty thousand plus yeah. case files. But these bitches must not have accounted for Corey motherfucking Williams because he did it and he looked through them by hand, did the damn thing, found some stuff out mm-hmm. and
1: has and so been did stirring the, the pot. King. Mm-hmm.
0: Stirring the pot. Exactly. I'm sorry. After reading this book, I just love Corey Williams so much. He is literally the reason we I have like, as much as we do.
1: I literally love him
0: and I don't even know him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not he's kind, really kind of like, like kind of like daddy vibes too. Like low key. Like or, eh, kind of. Like maybe, it's like. maybe it's just because he's, maybe it's just because he's such a good person. He's, he's on, really not is that Is he attractive. on your Instagram? Yeah, he is. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Now that I said that, you're going to be like, Patrick. Me like anxiously waiting. At on.
1: His <laughs> uh, which, which one is he? Oh. No. I mean just shit it. <laughs> to, be <honest> you, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you
0: I'm no. Williams maybe no, it's just he his he does look like a
1: very good guy Like yeah.
0: he just so back to Officer Powell and her lead in the task force this is a quote and this is a long one but I felt like it was pretty important because I just loved this quote now a lot of stuff has happened before I was here. But when I started, I did everything I could to have people working together as a team. If people don't want to work together, they can go find something else to do because we have a case to solve. My lane is the investigative lane and politics is not a part of my lane. Bottom line is we have four dead children. And if we don't share info, we are going to get nowhere. We don't have time to do anything but focus on following the evidence. The way I see it if I don't have enough evidence to convict, I still have a child killer out there. End quote.
1: Oh, she said that good.
0: I was like, <laughs> go off.
1: That's what this whole thing should have been in the first place was uh, teamwork and communication. And, and the fact
0: that we are here to solve a murder, not a pissing games. child pedophilia. like. So obviously I love the speech and the strong sentiment behind it. And she's clearly much better than Gray, but I still don't know how effective this speech was.
1: To the task force.
0: To just the whole entire situation. Should have been. So around a year and a half after he gets the evidence, Barry Kane once again voices his frustration with the case. He asks why Wayne County and Kim Worthy return his calls constantly. However, Jessica Cooper refuses to do so ever. He points out this is taxpayer money being spent to chase two different leads when they should be working together. And he's absolutely right.
1: And Cooper's a shady bitch.
0: Period. I literally had that in my notes, but I skipped over it because I'm like, I probably cut enough in this episode, but yes, she is. Yeah, me too, but... Cooper is not um, the move. like these people. Well, actually, speaking of Cooper, because I think we spoke of Cooper, didn't we, like recently? Yeah, we I just said she was a shady bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of Cooper, somebody else sat down with Cooper and her assistant prosecutor, Walton, and that person was Marnie Keenan. Okay. We love her. Keenan says that while they were friendly in the beginning of the interview, it kind of drifted away as they got into the question. When Walton and Cooper discuss the case with Keenan, they have a, a very different story than all the other stories she has heard throughout the years. They're saying that there's a possibility that the children are not even connected in the murders and start going through some of the evidence that has been offered throughout the years and disputing it. So two pieces of evidence that have been used to connect the four murders have been animal hairs that were found on all of the children. They were all white animal hairs. However, that is the only consistency between them. So they, they know could... what type of animal? Did no, it say? they don't have anything else to say. Well, like...
1: they should know what type of animal through a microscope.
0: So, they probably do. You're probably right. They probably, and then it's probably straight up, like, they're different animals.
1: Like, a white cat, white cat. Yeah,
0: so, like, they're just pointing to the fact and saying this evidence is null. Mm. And there's also carpet fibers that they have been pointing to the entire time, but they say that these carpet fibers aren't from the same carpet, but they're just the same color. So, it's like, that's not very strong either.
1: Yeah, I know they can, like, go as far as... Like where the carpet came from and was made and manufactured too, like what, mm-hmm. you know what I mean.
0: Something that kind of made me scratch my head is they apparently weren't even, even able to determine that the caliber shotgun shell that was found uh, near Christopher Bush's body after his supposed suicide was 12 gauge, which would have been more evidence linking him. But I'm like, I don't, I don't know nothing about guns. But I, yeah, I feel yeah like my boyfriend is here. He would tell, does. <laughs> Aaron would be like, all right, this is what he, this is yeah. a lie, or the are telling the truth. Yeah. But that is what they told Keenan. And last but not least, they said that there was nothing suspicious about the uh, Christopher Bush suicide scene.
1: Who said that? There was nothing suspicious?
0: Cooper Cooper and Walton. Cooper and Walton.
1: They said there was nothing suspicious.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, even though I said last but not least for the shotgun show, I have more. So they dismiss the Gunnel's DNA, which I can kind of agree with as well. I don't know how strong that would be. He was a child when this happened, and clearly a victim. So if you're going to go prosecute him instead of people who should have been prosecuted years ago, it's like, okay, whatever. And they also dismiss the evidence that Coffee brought against Wasser.
1: Hmm. Why are they dismissing all these?
0: I mean, that one is like... That one's a big... Cooper is directly related, like, directly... Directly associate with Wasser and has been very protective of him from the beginning. And Cooper is also directly associated with Jane Burgess, who was working with Wasser. So we it's like, like the it's a triangle. It's a triangle of pedophile cover up. Exactly. Cooper, however, does a pivot in July of 2012 that shocks everybody. Literally shocks the whole everybody involved with the investigation. What she do? She goes on a press conference and without even the support of the task force, she says to the public that there has been a breakthrough in old evidence and that there may be a living perpetrator of the crimes, referring to Arch Sloan and the DNA evidence. However, we already talked about the fact that the DNA evidence—it wasn't his hair. It wasn't his hair.
1: was she talking about?
0: So she's saying this in hopes that the public's going to come forth with with any uh, information. DNA testing of the hairs from King from King and Stebbins showed that they had the same mitochondrial profile, coming from the same person, and they were all found in Sloane's vehicle. She just went over all of the yes. aspects that we already the talked facts, about yeah. and gave it to the public. While she was doing this, Kim Worthy, the Wayne County prosecutor, was watching this live on her TV in her office, and she was fucking pissed. She was in disbelief. She was like, what just happened? So what she did immediately was call Marnie. Oh, I knew she was going to be on that phone right away. (laughs) She called Marnie, and she said... I have never seen a case compromised like this in all of my years.
1: She said go to Channel 11 right now.
0: (laughs) Nobody does this. Do you understand? Nobody. This is more than a setback. They released information they shouldn't have. We have not reached an impasse in the investigation in Wayne County. And we have numerous leads that we are following up on. This was Kim Worthy's quote. And in direct conflict with how Jessica Cooper just addressed the public saying that they were basically zeroing in on Arch Sloan and this DNA evidence.
1: They shouldn't have did that. That was dumb on their part.
0: Worthy was especially mad because it was her office, the Wayne County office, that was pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing for the re-examination of this DNA evidence that was linking yeah. the Harris and, and Sloan's cards. And just
1: all put out like that.
0: Like and was... Oakland County and Cooper just sweep in and say, da-da-da-da-da, like, look at us, Everyone. we're actually doing things. Yeah, no, you're not. Mm.
1: You're just being in the way is what you're doing.
0: And it's also, like, this, Cooper is the same person that was like, we owe you nothing, families of the victims. We don't need to give you any information. This is an incomplete investigation. And she then was she's so like,
1: complicated. She let it go to Supreme
0: Court, like. And then she's like, "All right, public. Here is one of the best. DN- here is some of the best evidence that we have come across in years. So that's a it's pretty hypocritical. Right. But it's because it's not involving Christopher Bush. Her, so, mm, she's got something with Christopher her, Bush. Her old friend. Mm-hmm. Abby throwing out accusations. Yep. <laughs> despite Cooper going on this press conference about Arch Sloan it really did nothing to help so thanks but no thanks Cooper you really did nothing there but hinder the investigation okay just just when you really thought this case couldn't get any crazier like this next section is insane it is insane like and it's it's partial conspiracy kind of okay but there's a lot there's like hard facts that make it terrifying oh god around 2010 a new witness comes forward and says that he saw christine the day she was abducted in the Seven Eleven parking lot oh this witness was a little boy named chris and he said that he took out his new bike that he just got for christmas to the 7-Eleven to ride it around, even though he wasn't allowed to go alone because his mom told him he couldn't. There he saw Christine with a magazine and a candy bar.
1: That she went to buy, yep.
0: And then she got into a small white car. He said that he was trying to like do some tricks and impress her, just like, showing off being a little yeah. boy. And while he was doing that, he saw a police officer, Officer Cox, come out of the 7-Eleven, to which his heart sank. The reason it did so is because his family knew the Coxes, and he knew that he would probably tell his mom. He was scared he was going to get in in trouble, trouble.
1: yeah. But the cop coming out right after. And got into into the car. The white car? The white car. No.
0: Got into the car Christine got into. So he never came forward with this to his mother because he was still afraid of getting in trouble.
1: Yeah. About being at the (laughs) 7-Eleven.
0: But what he did come forward with was calls to the tip line. And he says the first time that he called into the tip line, they said to call back with their parents. He was a little boy. So I'm like, "Uh, okay. And the second time he called in, they threatened to send the police officer's house because he was obviously a prank caller.
1: No, he actually saw that shit,
0: so two months later, after Timothy King went missing, the task force was sent to the schools in order to speak with teachers and have them debriefed on how to ask their students questions and ask them if they'd ever seen it if they had seen anything uh surrounding the case that might be of abuse, so he gave his tip about Officer Cox, to which decades of torment followed. He says.
1: Now, have we heard this Cox guy's name before?
0: No. This? And okay. we don't really... This is this is the only time that the Cox name comes up. So that's why it's very conspiracy. Okay. It's just this one person who's like...
1: Who said that, yeah.
0: He was pulled out of a classroom by another police officer, not Officer Cox, and the police officer told him that if he continued to lie, his mom would be arrested and his siblings would be put in an orphanage.
1: That's fucked up.
0: Two years later, the same cop came back, and the boy uh, Christopher ins- insisted that he was telling the truth, but he was threatened again.
1: Now that this is starting to seem shady with the police, the fact that they just want him to shut up. You know, it's of- even
0: shadier. What? In June 1977, a police officer hit a kid on their bike and put them permanently in a wheelchair. This kid looking eerily like Chris. Chris is certain that it was meant to be him.
1: What the freaking hell? Do
0: you want to know? It makes it even shadier. What? Everybody who Chris has told this story has ended up taking their own lives for a certain period of time, up until he told his mother. But there are three separate cases. A friend in high school, Robert Taylor, was told by Chris the story, and he called the task force to report it, to which he got a call back, and the same officer that went and threatened Chris at school uh, followed up with Robert Taylor. Days later, on October 7th, 1983, records indicate that he committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning in his garage.
1: Wow. So he, he told him the story of how he saw Christine at the 7-Eleven in the cop?
0: He told the story about how uh, Chris told him yeah. about it, yeah. Two and a half years later, Chris told another friend, Mike Riam, who was caught at school with marijuana by none other than Jim Cox. During the confrontation... Riam called Cox a baby killer due to oh the story, and days later, Riam committed suicide in the same way on may twenty first nineteen eighty
1: six the same way that kind of sounds weird carbon
0: monoxide poisoning too. and another thing that's weird about this, and I think the author i don't she didn't I don't think she put the time for any of the other dates for any of the other deaths I mean in this uh, side note but so he was caught for pot at school by Jim Cox and his body was discovered at 4.20 p.m. Which is just like, oh my god, it's like a very eerie, like, coincidence. 4.20? 4.20 p.m. Abby said 4.20. Me 20. just getting there. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was arrested. For, like, obviously, like, that wasn't planned, but that's just a, like, the universe eerie coincidence.
1: Well, did, okay. Who was the first boy that committed suicide. What was his Robert, Robert Taylor. Robert Taylor. And he was the second boy. Micream. Do they know each other?
0: Um, it's not clear, but they both know Chris. There was three years apart that they killed each other. Well, two and a half years apart that they killed themselves. Like, were they
1: mutuals, maybe? I don't know. Why? Like, okay, the reason I asked that is because maybe he heard, oh, he killed himself by carbon monoxide, so maybe that's a good way I could do it
0: kind of messed up, but
1: like, maybe he was like...
0: You're trying to make it seem less sinister. Like, less police involvement.
1: Yeah. I'm saying, maybe he
0: Maybe it was genuinely He was like,
1: thinking of a way, and then
0: And I know that is, like, I don't know about any more. I really, but I know that that is a somewhat common way to commit suicide. Yeah.
1: I've heard of that way, but I've, I don't want the police to be involved, but it's sounding really weird right now.
0: A third person. Scott Wheatland, in 1994, also had a run-in with Cox and yelled at him that he was the Oakland County child killer. Wheatley dies days later, August 29th, 1994, in the same way as Mike Graham and Robert Taylor.
1: Carbon monoxide in the garage. Carbon monoxide in the garage. Cox did it. Cox (laughs) did that.
0: In 1998, he told his mother, and his mother did not respond to this well, and he locked himself in his room, to which she called the police for a wellness check. Lovely idea. And guess who came?
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: Cox. Cox came and beat the shit out of him.
1: What? What? Beat him?
0: Beat the shit out of him.
1: In front of his mom?
0: just beat i'm like I'm, i don't know if his mom was watching but i do know that he beat him so badly that it resulted in injuries that took two years for him to recover from i think he like broke his jaw shattered some bones like he was severely beaten by cox and this was so this, this was the oakland county police
1: he was in the oakland county police force
0: cox i think force. it was birmingham okay so county police at birmingham is in oakland county okay but um that is the only thing that I can't be certain, like, the, the beating. I'm like, obviously, the people who died, their death certificates had that, and we have that in writing, but I, they but didn't he really... he did
1: get beat up in his home.
0: That's what I'm saying, I don't know. Okay, we like, just don't that know could, that, that could many be a details story, of that, yeah. That could be a story, or but we do know that, it, I mean, it makes sense, like, all these people are dead.
1: And then here comes Cox beating kids up.
0: So that was just, like, a crazy side note that is, like, makes everything ten times more suspicious. He didn't really have anything else to offer other than the fact that he saw Officer Cox and Christine Mahalik leave that day together. Yeah, and, and then, then all the suspicious shit died. that
1: happened after that, he was involved in.
0: And the people that died were people he had told the story.
1: And I wonder who, if it was, like, their family's grudges, obviously, like... Mm-hmm. Okay, and these were, do you know if they were teenagers or kids? Because the, do they have a car? So like, two of them in their were... their parents' car when they killed themselves?
0: Two of them were teenagers, and it's not clear if, they're, if it was their car or their parents' car, but the third one, it did say it was a lawnmower. But it was in 1994, so it's assumed... I'm a lawnmower. That I didn't think it It would probably it be, be older because Chris would be older at that point, so his friends right. would be older.
1: That's just so scary.
0: So back to the main plotline of the Oakland County Child Killer and talking about Christopher Bush. <laughs> a quote from uh, Marnie Keenan in her novel, The Snow Killings, and she was referring to an article from the Oakland Press in 1977 in a picture of Christopher Bush. And <laughs> She said, all 250 pounds stuffed like a sausage into a Hawaiian shirt when she was describing him. Really? And I, just think, <laughs> I, th- I just love that she said, stuffed like a sausage. Like, like, it's like <laughs> the same... Same vibes with calling Goalie Pudgy. Yeah. (laughs) But there was a lot of evidence that General Motors had the police in their back pocket. General Motors being the company that Christopher Bush's father was an executive. Okay. An eight-year-old girl living a block away from Chris Bush's brother was, was flashed by a man. She had the wherewithal to remember the license plate number, and she told her parents... Clearly, her parents were pissed, and they went to the Birmingham police. But when they identified it as Christopher Bush, right away, the charges were dismissed. The reason for being so is that the father was an attorney for General Motors. Yet another incident. A man comes up to a boy and his mother with his penis in his hands, and she screams at him and gets him to go away. And then she goes to the Birmingham police to which they said that there was nothing they could do because he was the member of a prominent family. What? So he was getting away with more than even the four crimes that he was convicted, convicted, very light use of the word there. Yeah. That's about like all the new evidence that we have and Clearly, being such an uh, important part throughout all the investigation, Williams does not think that this is right. He does not think that this is making sense, and he thinks that there is a cover-up. However, he doesn't think the cover-up is as sinister as I'm going to give my theory on. This is Williams' theory. He thinks that they knew that they screwed up when they discovered Christopher Bush's body at his suicide because they had passed him previously on a polygraph and they found all of that evidence that Mm. was screaming Oakland County child killer in the same room. He believes that they are just trying to cover up shitty police work not compliance with child molesters. He thinks someone within the Michigan State Police did all they could to bury the bush file indicating a possible deliberate sabotage of the investigation but still comes short of Like connecting any like North Fox Island like anything like that like doesn't he he doesn't dive into the conspiracies and I can't remember if last episode I said that the task force was shut down weeks after Christopher Bush committed suicide it was shut down the day after really the day after wow and we're still left and I couldn't find anything I think the most recent thing I found was like twenty twenty one and it's just them talking about uh, one of them was from 2019 and I remember specifically Williams was talking it was at a charity like I kind of mentioned earlier he was talking about new DNA uh, technology and how he's excited like maybe there'll be more things to come this was three years ago so take it with a grain of salt but before we get to the end of this episode I just wanted to take a moment and talk about the victims' families a little more starting with jill robinson's family so after the murder of their daughter their parents tried to disconnect themselves from the case carol kept herself busy raising her children working and going back to school where she got a master's in humanistic and clinical psychology in early september 2008 they were going through some of jill's belongings and she said it took them years but she learned to live with what life hands you dwelling on it will destroy me she said a quote I do not have anger I don't want to blame anyone or for anyone to suffer end quote which is just like wow like oof that's a very very like I can't even use it like that is just amazing that she can still have such a view on life and like not hold anger and like just be so
1: yeah that reminds me of a I saw where a guy killed someone and the father forgave him mm-hmm. in court. He held his hand and forgave him. I was like that's some people have that view and I'm mm-hmm. like that's I like, don't think I could and
0: like I would not. True Jesus stuff if you're going to look at Christianity that's like really what Jesus says to do is turn the other cheek apparently and I'm like I know, don't know how just, many people are actually doing that but yeah. Her her father also stayed out of the investigation. Christine Mihalik's mother, Debbie, remarried and took the name Jarvis. Debbie Jarvis also removed herself largely. However, at one point she did file a lawsuit against the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office because of the suspicious activity and the fact that they were being kept out and the fact that she felt that they were hiding something from them and that it was just so shady.
1: It was.
0: (laughs) To this day, she says the reason that Christine was held the longest is that she was just so enjoyable to be around, which just breaks your heart. Not as much as this next quote, though. There isn't a day where I don't think of how I failed her. My most important job as a parent was to protect her, and I didn't.
1: That's so sad.
0: Like you cannot blame yourself, Debbie Jarvis. Like this happens mm-hmm. to anybody and everybody, and nobody plans for something terrible like this happening, and nobody can ever prepare yeah, themselves. It
1: just, people disappear in the blink of an eye.
0: Jarvis takes pride in her three adult children's successes, however, and adores her grandchildren. So there is some light in her life. Mike Stebbins is the only individual to carry on his brother's legacy as his mother passed in 1998, and his father and mother were long divorced and estranged. He has two sons, Mark and Gary. So I think it's cute he named his son Mark, after Mm -hmm. his brother, assumably. Mike also calls Corey Williams his best friend, and, quote, if Corey can't solve it, nobody can. I like that. Yeah, this shows that...
1: Corey was a good guy. Good guy. Yes.
0: Last but not least, Barry King, who has been a very big part in this entire investigation after his wife's passing because he honored her wishes of not talking about the case while she was alive. After two hospitalizations, he still attended a conference in downtown Birmingham in 2019. However, in November of 2020, Barry King had passed away at the age of 89. Mm. King devoted his life to finding the killer of his son and the other three children of the Oakland County child killer. And even went on fighting after he lost his ability to speak due to a rare neurodegenerative disease. In all of the interviews and all of the quotes, Barry shows the world that he is a truly amazing individual. He never gave up fighting for his son even if he seemed that he would have no help. His daughter, Kathy Broad, is quoted. He died at home, in his own bed, on his own terms. He was a warrior of justice for his son.
1: And that's sad because his son didn't get to die like that.
0: Oh, like that too.
1: Yeah, he didn't get to die at home or in a peaceful way when he was old.
0: It takes you back yeah, like, to his quote of whenever he was talking to Tim on the press conference and saying, like, this had yeah. tryouts, so have them again for you next week, and just stay tough, buddy. Yeah. We love you.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Oof. So that's sad. A 2020 media release wanted to clear up some misconceptions. Paul Walden, the chief assistant prosecutor, insinuated that the book... The Snow Killings, by Marnie Keenan, threw fuel onto the fire of misinformation. Walden refers to the fact that the ropes found at the Bush suicide scene did not, in fact, have blood on them. And he also points to the fact that the car frequently associated with the case, the Blue Gremlin, mm-hmm. is likely the wrong suspect car. Which they, they definitely say in the snow killings, Like they don't try to hide that. One of the most recent Developments I could find on this was just the Oakland County Prosecuting Office coming out and kind of covering their ass. It seemed like and saying that wow, this book is just a big conspiracy theory almost. Which I think Keenan was very careful not to um, dive into the area of conspiracy, and she did address when these things were possible conspiracies. Yeah, but, but she was she just didn't giving make all. It, of,
1: it all seemed like it was a freaking yeah. Hole. Yeah. She tried to state the hard facts and they were just like, nope, it's a conspiracy theory. Sorry.
0: But wait. What? So I did leave just one piece of information out.
1: What may that be?
0: So in a 70s investigation into the child porn ring that Francis Sheldon and Jerry Richards were involved in, there are reports that link Christopher Bush to the two individuals. How? That is all I could find. Um, I'm not really sure if I mentioned that they were confirmed to be linked or if it was just suspicion, but they were confirmed to be linked in the child porn ring. And the reason I'm bringing this back up is because we're going to get into our theories now, and I'm just wondering why nobody connected North Fox Island and the Oakland County Child Killer. It could explain Chris's questionable suicide. It could explain why the children were kept alive for long periods of time, and it was verified to be a... Child porn was verified to have been produced on North Fox Island, so... All of those pieces fit, so I, I don't know. I, it's definitely entertained, the idea that it's connected, but I think it's got a lot more weight to it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to give my full theory, or I'm going to give my what I think really happened here. Okay. So I think there is a pedophile cult, pedophile ring, whatever you want to call it, that was very powerful and very expansive in the area of Oakland County in the 1970s. I think that Christopher Bush was involved. However, I think that he was a weak link. He was one of the few in the cult that would actually kill children, bringing too much police and too much media attention towards the issue. This is why the cult decided to kill him, which was not a problem for the Bush family, as it would save them the headache and expenses of dealing with their pedophile son.
1: That's a really good, that's really good theory. I, I, that was what I, I thought. I think he has something to do with it. I I know. I feel like deep down he has something to do with it. The killings.
0: Yes, like I said, that is only my theory. Yeah. But that is what it seems like to me. And it makes sense. Money is very powerful and it can do awful, awful things.
1: So is that your theory for it? Well, okay. I believe that... I believe everything you said for my theory too um i think that the police um especially cox had something to do with it too this pedophile ring um the fact that that i mean i know it was one witness but that boy boy coming forward multiple times and then being just disregarded
0: by and his friends dying yeah I think that Three times.
1: Cox had to do with it, Bush, um, the Cooper bitch. I think it was all a cover up for those that powerful ring of pedophiles. Mm-hmm. I think it was all General just a Motors. big f- 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 effed up cover up and it shouldn't have happened. And it was just a clusterfuck. Definitely. And at the end, it just became so many people involved that no one really even knows like now. Who did it?
0: But very solid theory.
1: I agree with everything you had to say too. It's just horrible. This thing was horrible.
0: Before I ended this episode, I want to dedicate this four part series to Mark Stebbins, Jill Robinson, Christina Halick, Tim King and Barry King, who spent his entire life wondering what happened to his son and fighting for answers. May all of you rest in peace, and may all of you know that your lives are not forgotten and your stories will be told. Well, that about does it for this awful, awful case. Going back to the first episode, giving a shout-out slash screw you to my sister, who suggested it and made me fall down one of the most disgusting rabbit holes... I have ever fallen. But I hope that you have enjoyed the detailed synopsis of the case. I have to give proper credit once again to Marnie Keenan, because she did the research. She put together an amazing novel, The Snow Killings, and I pulled a lot of this from there. There are documentaries, a five part series from the Detroit from a Detroit media station. However, it really just reiterated what I already saw and read in Kenan's book, as well as articles that have been released throughout the last few decades surrounding the case. I will link, as I have been in every episode, her novel in the description, and I will also link the Detroit news station where you can find relating articles. I definitely want to know what everybody thinks about this case. Like, please, please, please let me know on the Facebook group or just comment on Instagram. Like, get out there and tell me your theory. If you disagree with me and you don't think it's connected to the North Fox Island, like, that is, like, you do you. I want to hear what you think.
1: Yeah, let us know.
0: And I, yeah, I just, it's just so crazy to me, and I don't Mm -hmm. think many people know about it, so. I
1: like seeing what people's opinions are.
0: So you can find us on facebook not adding up you can also find us on instagram at podcast nau that's at podcast n a u that is the same for my twitter at podcast nau and yeah that about does it for my socials i might expand into tiktok eventually who knows it's a scary world for me tiktok (laughs) i know it can help expand though so as i mentioned in the beginning of this episode i got some local west virginia cases coming up so i hope you guys enjoy those and i hope you all have a good morning afternoon or evening whenever you're listening to this and most importantly i hope you tune in again soon for another case that just does not add up (music) Thank mm-hmm. you.